Hello and welcome back to the other 99% podcast where we take a step back from the 1% gains that society has become obsessed with and instead talk about the other 99%. Throughout this series we will discuss everything from nutrition to sleep, training methods, work-life balance, leadership and mental health. So good, so good. I can't believe you actually, yeah I can't believe you actually offered me the chance to do it and you (laughs) just go and smash it out the water again. I thought, so it'd make it, I thought it'd make a nice change. I was going to say, oh, it's weird when you do it, and then just get back to doing it myself. But... <laughs> Maybe next week. Maybe next week, yeah. So, I, yeah, my, my week's been all right. Um, I've had quite a chilled one. I didn't travel with the team. They went down to London to play West Ham. On, they travelled on Saturday and came, came back today. Um, but I had like a rehab to do a bit of training with so I stayed in Manchester um yeah caught up on a bit of work I've been working on a literature review on recovery modalities which we're going to cover in like a future episode um so I've been finishing off that watching a bit of the rugby and yeah something beautifully ironic about you looking at recovery modalities given your recovery scores recently my my average this week has been 29% on whoop that is horrendous yeah, but I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> Trading's feel going great all right. Until you don't. Yeah. I ran 48k, I think, last week. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm not surprised. It's lower. Quite yeah, a big bonus step dress. up, isn't it? Bonus dress waiting to happen. <laughs> Being there, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. How's your week been? Yeah, good, good. Um, my numbers in the gym keep going up, which is super satisfying. Um, obviously, that's relevant because we we spent a lot of time deciding um, what plan I was going to follow kind of over the Christmas period. So yeah. I think we found something that is, is working and more importantly, this time of year is really enjoyable. Um, so that's been good. Uh, I've been running again as well. So I'm back up now to... Um, between 10 and 15k a week um so that's you know it's not huge numbers but it is a big uh, increase in where i was so that's you know it's been nice to to get outside and we've had one or two not completely rainy days so um that was good and then on a, a kind of real positive i qualified uh, i did a, a swim distance in the lake this weekend that qualifies me for um an ice kilometer um so i can enter you know proper ice swimming uh, challenges um but now i know what all the data is obviously i'll go out next weekend and try and qualify for the ice mile probably give myself hypothermia so um oh, that sounds great yeah yeah <laughs> you still couldn't think of anything worse than getting in the cold Whoa. well our episode in two weeks is going to convince you that, that that's a great idea yeah and i spent about an hour this morning reading about cold water immersion so yeah you're not convinced uh yeah it depends we'll we'll, Mm. we'll discuss that in a future episode obviously today's focus is on concurrent training and the so-called interference effect yeah absolutely uh it's a bit of a an area of passion for you at the moment isn't it obviously with your challenge of trying to squat um 200 plus kilos and run a sub five minute mile this this is your challenge yeah, and I spent um, I spent quite a bit of time reading around this area, like when I was trying to work out like what kind of program and stuff to follow, and 
Yeah, they're like it's it's really really interesting. There there was this guy back in the day called Robert Hickson. I don't know if he's still alive or not, but he's quite a famous physiologist. Um, and he was a powerlifter. And his like supervisor or something was into running, so he started joining his supervisor on his runs, and noticed that his gym numbers started to go down over like the following weeks. Um, and then obviously that interested him so he, he when he opened his own lab that was kind of the first thing that he looked to study was was this so-called interference effect and where when where we are now there's basically two kind of uh theories about why you get this interference effect the first one is to do with cell signaling so when you lift a weight um your muscles can sense mechanical tension and that triggers a steady response which is mTOR increasing and when you do endurance training you get a different pathway that they hypothesized blocks the mTOR because you're activating the calcium pathway but they studied that in rats and in in rats you do get like a complete block like mTOR switches off CAMPK switches on which is a calcium pathway um so then that made complete sense but now they've studied it in humans and that doesn't actually happen so you do get a decrease in mTOR but it stays elevated for about 18 hours after you lift weights and the signal is only reduced while you're doing the endurance training so you can imagine if you do your set of squats on the Monday and then maybe you go for a run later that night out of those 18 hours the mTOR pathway is only going to be suppressed for that hour you're doing cardio so that obviously that will have an effect over time but it's not a big deal in my opinion so the the bigger one to worry about is um what people talk about as kind of managing your fatigue or energy because say you run 10 miles and then you go and squat straight away you're not going to lift as heavy as you would than if you just did the squats first so what they think is it reduces voluntary activation to just like how much of your muscles you can activate um which makes a lot more sense to me so that's kind of where i'm at so then if you structure your training properly it shouldn't it shouldn't negate your strength training too much by adding in endurance work does that make so sense it's really interesting yeah absolutely um and i'm almost going to be deliberately obnoxious here um i i went away because i wasn't uh, this is something i practice in yeah. that um i love strength training but endurance is where my passion is so i started getting back into strength training to improve my uh well originally it was my ability on the bike um so concurrent training is defined as the combination of resistance and endurance training in a periodized program to maximize all aspects of physical performance <clears throat> However, I listened to a podcast actually this morning um, with Dr. Phil, forgotten his second name, who's the head of biomechanics at um, St. Mary's Twickenham. Yeah. And he said that concurrent training is using more than one method to improve at one activity. So if you're trying to get quicker at cycling or better on the bike, then you would yeah. increase your, your strength. Um, so that you can perform better on the bike so you're using two training modalities 
to improve at one particular aspect. Whereas when you are trying to become a hybrid athlete, you are training two different um, modalities or pathways to try and get better at both of them independently. Okay, it's interesting to differentiate between those two because I'll just chuck them into the same... Exactly that. And I've always thought that if you use concurrent, concurrent training, you become a hybrid athlete. But actually, being a hybrid athlete is not the same as using concurrent training. Yeah. Necessarily. Good. But, well, when we were planning this episode last week, I spoke about, I almost found it a bit annoying that like hybrid athlete, um, like headline or like people, what people call themselves because concurrent training has been around for years but I suppose athletes have always done it because their sport requires both endurance and strength adaptation but their goal is always to get better at their sport not to get better at endurance and strength training it's just a means to an end so I can I can see where they're coming from with that yeah um the the example he he gave was actually um, pretty much what you're trying to do it was trying to improve to squat 200 kilos but also to reduce your one mile time that those things are not connected to each other by any other sport um, yeah. or activity but they are two things that you're trying to improve so you use concurrent training to become a hybrid athlete i think is kind of the message he was getting at yeah yeah i like that yeah um it, it simplified it in my own mind um yeah. but one of the things that that sort of came up repeatedly when i was doing my research on this was the order and the timing yeah. of this and, and those signaling pathways that you were talking about. Now, you mentioned that the the mTOR response, happy with that term? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, is 18 hours. Some of the research I found with the, the cardio stuff was that it was three hours, okay. that calcium pathway. Yeah, um, yeah. So a much shorter window um, after the endurance work. So um, basically, a lot of studies were actually suggesting that you should do your uh, endurance work first yeah, in yeah. the morning because the pathway um, has kind of closed, that window shut, and then you could do your lifting later um, and then have that 18-hour window uninterrupted. But like you're saying, if you've got that muscular fatigue, then that that's something that needs to be factored into your training as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. I was having that exact conversation with my boss at work um i think it was last week and with one of the physios because he's doing high rocks which is obviously a bit of strength training and predominantly endurance and we were chatting about that because that was always a recommendation just based on the um cell signaling theory about interference but yeah i would definitely lift first and do my endurance work afterwards because I, I think you get but that that said whatever is more the more important goal to you I'd probably end up doing that first. So say I was working with a runner and they just wanted to get better at running, I'd prioritise doing their run first. And if it was an interval session or a key run for them, if it was an easy run, I'd probably still do the strength training first. Because I, I think you get more out of the strength training that way. That was the other interesting That's thing. That's exactly it, what. It, it doesn't seem to... Strength training doesn't seem to interfere with endurance adaptation. I suppose you could argue that, you know, we spoke last week about uh additional weight being carried or you know people that have extra load when they're running and the reduction in efficiency so if you are strength training excessively and there's an element of hypertrophy there that perhaps you're less efficient um if you're mm -hmm. carrying additional upper body mass in particular for a runner that's not going to be helpful yeah yeah for sure
just as a, a kind of um, suggestion, but um, I also came across basically sort of reinforcing what you said about which one's more important to you. And um, it said that the the cardio tended to have more health benefits to the general population than the weight training did in terms of, you know, like heart disease, diabetes, um, et cetera, you know, weight loss. Uh, we, yeah. we sort of chatted a little bit about Tim Spector's podcast. Um, but, you know, thinking about the amount of stress that you're able to put your body through when you are fatigued, that is kind of the, the caveat and we can't get around that. So, I guess what I'm asking is, do you have any suggestions about how people can can go about this in their day to day lives if they don't have the ability to train twice a day and put their sessions, you know, 12, 14 hours apart from each other? Which way yeah. around would you go in the gym? I I would. And it, again, going back to what I said, it, I think it does depend on their goal. If if their if their goal is to say maximize health, so they're trying to get stronger and fitter, but neither one's of the utmost importance then i would lift first and do the cardio afterwards um that said i'd be tempted to maybe stick some like low intensity cardio before just as as a general warm-up you know like five to ten minutes of work um because that low intensity and that short duration isn't going to fatigue you before you lift your weights and it's just if you're trying to accumulate those 150 minutes of exercise across a week it's just a nice way to start collecting those minutes while also preparing you for for your weight session and then i would end with end with the cardio once i'd done my strength work yeah i was reading this study by molassets and i hadn't come across any of their work before but in this topic it, it would appear that they're quite prevalent they've published quite a bit but their main research seemed to suggest that uh 1rm increased more when strength training was done first so I think we're yeah. we're fairly in agreement, aren't we? That, that if the quality of the lift is better doing that first, then regardless of the interference effect, you're still going to get more benefit than if you did a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that that's kind of what I'm doing as well. And again, it's still argued um, that. Well, so I'm, I'm not actually doing that at the moment because I'm lifting. Well, I'm about to change to lifting in the morning and then doing my runs in the evening. But at the moment, I'm running in the morning and lifting in the evening. But I am separating my sessions out by at least six hours, which again is another recommendation if you're looking to get the most out of both sessions, leave at least a six-hour gap. Um, but I'm going to change to lifting in the morning, running the running the evening. What impact have you found so far on your your strength work? So obviously, the running's gone through the roof. You're up to yeah. almost 50k a week, having started from zero pretty much so yeah. that's obviously progressing nicely um obviously you you squatted over 200 just before christmas just for the eye surgery so where are yeah. you at now with with that um yeah it's not even even though we've just got over all that research and i would say to 99 percent of people it's not like cardio is not going to ruin all your gains and even though I know that every time I go for a run, I still have that in my head. You know, that little bro science voice is like, you're killing your gains by going for a run. Um, <laughs> but I, I suppose I'm kind of the exception to the rule in a few ways, because firstly, I've lost weight quite quite rapidly. Um, also, I think compared to most people, my strength was at a really high level. And then thirdly, I've also put my volume through the roof really quickly for running. So I think those three things together 
has had a bit of an effect on my strength. Um, but I'm actually going to, I might do a one RM squat tomorrow and see where I'm at. Cause yeah, I hit 205 just before Christmas, but my body weight's gone from 98 kilograms down to 92 over the last 10 weeks or so. Um, and I've been doing a lot of running and not lifting as heavy in the gym. And as, as we spoke about at the start of the episode, my recovery has been really poor. So I, I think I have lost a bit of strength, but it's nothing that won't come back. So if you were to rewind eight, eight nine weeks, mm-hmm. start again from week one, would you do it differently? Or realistically, would you, would you probably do the same thing? Um, my problem is I'm really impatient. So, so. <laughs> and learning to enjoy the process and like the satisfaction of slow increases in performance is something I need to get my head around because I'll set a goal and then just go for it and probably end up hurting myself or burning myself out or yeah that that's probably realistically where I'm at at the moment I just feel good psychologically but physiologically I probably am burnt out because my HRV has been 30 or so for the last month and typically i'm at about 90. so obviously you know other people are going to do that and they are going to make that mistake so what's the route back how do you get back from that well a a deload would be (laughs) would be good (laughs) um at the moment i still feel good so i can't really see myself doing that and I don't know. I, I suppose if it was like a one-off day where my recovery is poor, you tell maybe the technology is a bit off or whatever, but it's been consistently bad. Um, I think one thing I would do is not push the intensity of the running so much because what you find is your HRV does drop after intense cardio sessions, which is a normal response. Whereas if you do low intensity, if anything, it should be a bit higher the next day. Um, yeah, so I've actually found that with with mine. I've stopped having moved away from from doing the elliptical work where I find it really easy to do high intensity interval stuff because your heart rate goes up so high yeah. um, and shifting those sessions back out to running where physically I'm not able to run as, as quickly as I'm perhaps um, fit enough to do. So my heart rate remains low throughout those whole sessions and yeah. my HRV has been as high as, as it's been this past sort of four or five weeks. Um, and I think it, it probably is down to that, the lack of, you know, sort of top end um, high intensity work. Yeah. So I, I think especially if you look like in my case in particular, I'd gone from not really doing any running. I played rugby for a couple of seasons. Um, previously to that over lockdown, I did a good probably three to four months of consistent running at similar sort of mileage to what I'm doing now, maybe not quite as high, about 30 to 40k a week. So I think that even though that was years ago, I think that still put me in a good position for this block of running that I'm currently doing. I think if I'd done this before, I would have got injured from just spiking my volume too too aggressively. Um, but going going back to my point, if I was to go back 12 weeks now, I would definitely polarise more and progress my volume more steadily and then probably reduce my volume of weight training as well because I've just tried to do everything and I suppose that's another really good point to make um and I can't remember the the name of the I oh, was uh what was his name Saulier or something like that do you know the guy I'm talking about 
It, what, the AC20 guy? No, no, no. The the guy that had the principle about adaptation energy. So that there's this theory that you only have so much energy that you can put towards adaptation. And what I've done is probably just emptied the tanks. I've tried to do a running program and a lifting program instead of trying to blend the two together. So if, if, if I was so, to start again, I think I would reduce my reduce the volume of strength training that I'm doing as well. I've been lifting five times a week and running three or four times a week. I'd I'd maybe depending on where I wanted to prioritize. Obviously, I was really pushing my squat strength before Christmas, so I was prioritizing my lower body sessions. Maybe I'd just drop the upper body sessions and do a couple of runs instead. Yeah, the guy was Hans Selye, Selye, S-E-L-Y-E. I never know how you pronounce that. Yeah, I never know how you pronounce it. It's unlike us to butcher a name on this podcast as well. Very unlike us. Very unusual. He's the same guy that came up with the theories of adaptation, like general adaptation syndrome. You know, the guy that studied the rats and like exposing to stress over time. That guy. Yeah. I think it's interesting because we look at the emergence of a lot of these and i'm going to call them hybrid hybrid sports now i think it started with the um it wasn't called the spartan race like the tough mudder i think was probably the first big popular one that i became aware of certainly and then you've got the high rocks events now you've got crossfit that's still continuing to grow uh at a very you know quick rate and you look at the people at the top end of this stuff and I think being a hybrid athlete and using concurrent training is sold as the healthiest thing we can do. And and to an extent, I definitely agree. You know, we have identified before the benefits that you get from endurance training and from strength training and fitting them both yeah. in is, is really important. But I saw some of the photos coming out of one of the CrossFit competitions looking at the athletes at the, the very sharp end of that stick I just can't believe that they're natural. And no, I, none I don't want to be that are. person that, that comes out <laughs> and says, oh, yeah, they only look like that because of this. But, you know, I think it. what, what I mean by this is not to, to damage them at all because what they are doing, regardless of that, is absolutely immense. But the the health implications for everybody else to try and emulate that sort of training, I think we need to be very aware of that because if you try and do that, you're probably going to hurt yourself and probably quite badly as well. Yeah, there's a really big issue with doping in CrossFit that I don't know if they'll ever be able to tidy that up. But if you, we look, look at what I'm going through right now. Um, if if I was doping, I'd probably be recovering absolutely fine from the training that I'm doing because they would blow my training volume out of the water, CrossFit athletes. I'm doing about 10 hours a week. They're probably doing 20 plus. Yeah, and that's I mean, not to say that's that an incredible amount, isn't it? Yeah, and that's not to say that you can't do twenty hours of training a week if it's programmed correctly, because a lot of endurance athletes will do that amount, but most of it's low intensity that you recover from really quickly. So I've just googled that very quickly and found two, four, six, seven CrossFit athletes all tested positive in the semi-finals last year. Yeah, there's a real problem with with CrossFit and doping at the moment. And then one, two, three, four more. So 11 athletes, so four more shortly after it. So that's 11 around that semi-final thing. So as much as, you know, the what we're talking about is 
I think is really great for people to engage with. I think just looking at these top end sports through the lens of not, oh, they can only do it because they're doping, but I need to be realistic about my own abilities, especially if you're working full time or you have young children or whatever it is that takes up your time as well. Because with these athletes as well, like when they're not training, they are recovering. Whereas most people, when they're not training, they're at work or doing chores or going somewhere, traveling, whatever it is. It's not actual rest, is it? Yeah. And you, you could say that about any sport, pick any sport. The ones at the top are probably doping. Um, yeah. And interestingly, the, the first guy to do the 500 pound squat in the five minute mile was a CrossFit, CrossFit athlete. <laughs> the thing, the thing that gives me hope, again, we were chatting about this at work because a lot of people think it's not possible naturally. But the, the person that gives me hope is Fergus Crawley. Have you ever come across him? Was he the guy we were looking at before? No, no. Not so he's, he, he was the second guy to do it. But he, he was a power lifter. Went through um, a serious stage of depression. Got into endurance training because he got a dog. Um, and he yeah, then he picked up endurance training. Now he does both. He runs Omnia Performance, which is a hybrid coaching company. Um, and yeah, he was that's the second. The, that's the podcast I was listening to with Dr. Phil. I didn't realise that was the same guy. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he, he was the yeah. second guy to do the 500 pound squat in the five minute mile, and I'm convinced he's natural. You can you can just look at someone and tell if they're natural or not. Yeah, I mean, I think if he's running a performance podcast as well, I I only listened to a couple of his episodes, but the message was really good, so it, it tracks, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Also. Everyone that does, everyone that does the hybrid athlete thing, I'm sure they always come from a background in strength training, and then get into endurance. I don't know of many endurance athletes that get really into strength training. I think it's a stage of life thing where you start to consider, you know, you maybe you enter the world of work. This is certainly what happened for me. I entered the world of work, and my time became a lot more limited, and if I was strength training, um, you wouldn't necessarily go outdoors that much. Yeah. So endurance training became attractive in the in the very first instance because it allowed for an element of exploration, but it also got me outside. Whereas, yeah. you know, when, when you're working indoors and then you're training indoors and then you go home and you, you watch TV, you hang out with your friends, whatever it is, it's, it's predominantly inside. And particularly in the British winter where the weather's just crap, I think the mental health aspect of endurance training is much greater than the strength training. Yeah, and they've they studied that as well, and it is, it is more effective. Yeah, and last longer, and we've spoken again about the, the communities that are involved with those as well, and these communities of, of um, people who are aiming to be these hybrid athletes is definitely growing, but there are very well-established endurance uh athlete groups aren't there yeah yeah it, it is interesting though everyone everyone kind of like if you look at both of us i'm probably a decade behind you you obviously started out with just strength training and probably hated endurance i can remember at school absolutely hating cross country and that kind of stuff yeah had no interest whatsoever and now yeah now i love it <laughs> yeah but it's that common mistake of everyone just tries to go too hard too soon and then it's not enjoyable yeah and i well, 
tough balance for the education system, giving people the right exposure to different activities. How hard do you push on those certain things? And I think it's very individualized. But yeah. for me, it's about giving the knowledge so that when people leave these institutions, they're able to go away and make smart decisions and and create plans and, and look after themselves physically and mentally. Yeah. But it, it is, um, I've, I'm obviously biased, but training, I think, is such a good tool for improving your mental health and well-being. Yeah, and, you know, it's really prevalent, isn't it? We spoke about mental health before Christmas, but we're recording today. So it won't it won't come out um, for a few days, but we're recording on Blue Monday. So this is the statistically worst day of the year um, for people quitting the job, for people who are suffering from mental health you know this is this is the worst day and I think that it's important to remind I certainly today was very conscious of reminding myself the things that I am grateful for and we have spoken about journaling and miracle mornings and how that fits into it and I I would say I haven't actively practiced gratitude frequently for probably since the first lockdown and today I, I made a real conscious effort to do it and it, it was refreshing it was really nice yeah that, that was that was the last time i did it was over lockdown i went went through maybe a month of gratitude journaling it was actually coming out of lockdown which then it was a lot easier to write down things that i was really grateful for yeah i um i had a bit of a depressing moment um i i got locked out of my my fitness pal account which links with garmin so that was frustrating but that's that's not the end of the world so i switched to another app which i actually prefer and the last time i used it was uh 2019 just before um covid hit and i had to put in my starting weight and my starting weight was a full seven kilos heavier than i was uh, <laughs> back then um to the point that when i typed in the number it said are you sure <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, I, yeah I did the sure, I, thanks I, I, <laughs> I, I went through that over lockdown because i hadn't used my fitness power since my first year of uni when i did the men's physique competitions so how many years later was lockdown from that 2000 and probably four years later yeah um and i'd gone from 80 kilograms to 110 <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could i can feel your pain percent increase in body mass <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so that's that was my my thing to not be so grateful for but actually i find those stats quite motivating you know it's uh it's le not learning through um previous experience but that previous experience of having done it you know um it's a reminder that it that it is possible and you were there once so why not again yeah yeah it is interesting though. I remember going from 110 back down to 90 and I promised myself I'd never let myself go over 95 again, which I did before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but saying that, I was, at, I was at a lower body fat percentage then, so yeah. Yeah, it's all relevant. It's all relative, yeah. isn't it? And I think that my advice to people, and I think this is probably where Tim Spector was getting at with a lot of his messaging about weight loss. Um, and I, I didn't agree with everything he said. But he was talking about how it's more important to eat correctly. And by that, we're talking like natural foods from the right food groups, well-balanced diets, as opposed to being the right weight. You know, you yeah. can be healthy and larger, 
but you can be unhealthy and the kind of correct way in inverted commas so there is a real distinction to be made here and you know as much as we we talk about the fact that we're both in deficits and things at the moment actually health is none of those things should come at the expense of health yeah, bodybuilding is a really good example of that like those people are supposedly like the pinnacle of physique but they're probably some of the most unhealthy people you'll ever meet do zero cardio unless they're doing some sort of con- contest prep where their cardio will be walking which they're not actually getting any adaptation from they're just burning energy um yeah get really lean put on loads of muscle mass could that have you seen that research that the larger you are the more likely you are to die young no as in the the fatter you are the more no, just like just just the larger so even if it's all muscle mass because like your heart's still working harder to circulate blood around your body and like the strain on your organs and all that kind of stuff is still higher even if it is muscle mass okay that's interesting um obviously that's the extreme end because <clears throat> i imagine it would be like a wait how would i describe the graph could there, there'll be like a a bell curve yeah bell curve that's probably the one that i'm looking for because obviously down one end if you've got next to no muscle mass you're not going to function very well yeah but then if you go all the way up the other end and i was actually thinking about that the same when we're talking about crossfit athletes like anything will kind of follow that curve if you take it to the extreme it's not going to be healthy yeah yeah for sure um and, and like you say if you've got people down that that far end and who in, who don't engage with exercise but uh, you know when you're younger you think oh it's so annoying they they look slim or healthy or whatever but the fact that they're not engaging in in physical exercise and perhaps don't eat the best that's a a real problem yeah yeah but I, I feel like the hybrid training is a really good message because i i reckon it brings people back to a healthier mindset like do some strength training and do some cardio training set yourself performance goals by doing both of those things you're not going to get dragged too far in one direction in terms of doing loads of endurance training or loads of strength training um and you'll probably just be at like a happy medium and you'll still get good results in terms of aesthetics if you're bothered by any of that yeah i still i feel like we are fundamentally designed to do that as well and if you look at where we came from with our ancestors and and even still present in some you know more remote tribes that exist around the world where they still run to hunt their food for example where the endurance is actually a way to stay alive not just something that they enjoy on the weekends um but then you look at the natural and i'm thinking some of the the dances that i've seen on on the national geographic and you're looking at how high these these cultural dances where where they jump up and down and and the spring that is like like present um within these people and the, and the power the sheer power that they have and there's no commercial gyms and and stuff yeah. over there like they've just trained their body to work the way that it wants to and i imagine that they've got almost no injuries happening yeah and they're, they're just letting their body do kind of what it's been designed to do instead of you know like we do we pick an activity that we love and, and then we just do it until we can't do it anymore yeah when you when you get kenyan runners strength training to them is doing some core work yeah um, yeah I, I, I completely agree with that and i think as well the the work you do like the strongest i've ever been in my life i reckon was working as a marqueer just lifting yeah. carrying twisting turning you know it was his very own crossfit yeah definitely had the worst shoulder impingement i've ever had then 
<laughs> There's still time. You can get another one. Yeah. On the, on the topic of running, actually, and going back to what we we're talking about with concurrent training, running is supposed to be the worst form of cardio for the interference effect. Um, well, yeah, I suppose what I say, I suppose what I would say to that is, if you enjoy running, and who really cares anyway? Do you mean like do you really need that other centimeter on your legs, or do you want to enjoy going out for a run? Um, and if you had asked me two years ago, I'd pick the centimeter on my legs, but today, <laughs> today I'd pick the run. So, do you want to just touch on why it's the worst one? Yeah, the the ground reaction forces are quite high. So imagine when you plant your foot. There's a big force and it's a breaking force, which is an eccentric muscle action, essentially lengthening a little bit under load. So what that does is it causes more muscle damage. And again, that's just mechanical tension. People used to think muscle damage was good for hypertrophy, but it's actually only mechanical tension that's important. So if your body's trying to recover from muscle damage, and it's just another process to get in the way of your body not re- recovering from mechanical tension and gym sessions and that kind of stuff. You've actually just reminded me about when we spoke um, before this episode of how the two elements of concurrent training and becoming a hybrid athlete quite quite complement each other in that in order to achieve a certain level of um, muscle damage, we actually need to complete a certain amount of volume and there's a huge correlation between a person's aerobic capacity and their ability to recover quickly so the fitter you are the faster you recover in the gym and the the more volume you can do in that strength session so actually it's it's beneficial to your strength training to be fitter because you can recover better yeah yeah for sure and yeah obviously there's a really big correlation between uh, that's what you're just saying the volume of strength training you do and the hypertrophy response um well, I had something else in my head then. That's what I was going to say. And the other interesting thing about concurrent training is aerobic work actually doesn't interfere with hypertrophy as much as it does strength. Why is that? It, um, I'm not. I'm not too sure. I reckon it will be to do with the like. If you think of the neuromuscular system, you you'll probably have a uh not be able to lift as heavy because of what we were talking about before with managing fatigue but yeah. all that really matters for hypertrophy is even if you're not feeling super fresh if you go in the gym and lift to failure i think you'll still get a good stress and signal for adaptation yeah nice but, but i mean that makes sense but when you're looking at strength work like the velocity of the bar speed all of that kind of stuff's really important every rep but hypertrophy, you can't really mess it up as long as you um, lift to failure. Yeah, I can tell you that there was almost no bar speed when I was lifting this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, for, like, for strength training, you don't really want to be grinding out reps, um, which is exactly what you want to be doing for, for trying to put on some muscle mass. It's interesting that. So, I mean, we're, we're slightly um, diverging here. You're talking about grinding out reps better for hypertrophy, but if you've got a low volume in that you've only done let's take like three or five reps at um a high load yeah the bar speed's going to be low you're not going to get many reps out i my understanding was that we were still targeting a strength adaptation at that point because the volume's not high enough and if the bar speed's low yeah the bar speed's low because you're struggling because it's heavy 
Yeah. Um, you like the. I'm, well, I'm trying to understand the question. So, so why why would you not want to grind out reps for strength training? Yeah. Because there's uh, the the skill element to lifting. So and I, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, pro- probably because it allows you to perform more high quality reps with good technique, and then you get yeah. better at the skill of it instead of just targeting increasing cross-sectional area yeah so like a typical strength program you might stay um five reps short of failure week one then four reps short three reps short two reps short one rep short you might progress like that over weeks but you'll you'd accumulate more sets so say i might do five sets each week of five reps four reps three reps two reps one rep getting a bit closer to failure each time i might periodize it like that but if you do three or four hypertrophy, you want to be two or three reps short of failure, if not one or two, every single set. Otherwise, you're kind of just wasting sets because you're not really bothered about nervous system adaptation. You're just trying to put as much mechanical tension on that muscle as possible. By the time you've done three sets, I'm pretty cooked on an exercise. I try and do four of my key lists when I'm going through hypertrophy blocks. Um, and yeah, and I normally pick exercises where there's less of a skill element as well. So that's just like how I approach those two different things. I don't know if that answers a question. Yeah, I think so. And particularly when you talk about high quality reps, there's no such thing as a good looking one RM. And no. nobody gets to the point of failure with what they would like to call perfect form. Yeah. And but if you look at some of the best powerlifting programs, a lot of powerlifters will just do singles and RPE eight-ish, so like 90, 92%. And they just do singles at that weight each week. Um, and then, yeah, your, your one RM is never going to look pretty, which doesn't mean you shouldn't do it because it's still the skill of doing that lift will be different at a higher percentage. Um, but yeah, just strength adaptation, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like you need to go as near to failure as, as you do for hypertrophy. It's really interesting. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it makes strength training a lot easier until you get to those weeks where you are close to failure and then five fives, well, we spoke about this before Christmas. I was doing five fives and alternated between that and five threes. And just to do a squat was taking me about 40 minutes. So that's similar to what you ended up suggesting for me, this this idea of five, three, one. But there's yeah. two sets in that session. Every every session, there's two sets that are to failure. Yeah, yeah. And but then that's enjoyable. Yeah, exactly that. Because if you stay really far from failure, I just feel like I'm not really doing anything. Yeah. And even though it is, it's still nice to to feel like you've had that challenge when you've done a session, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was the same for me with, I really liked Olympic lifting, but because it was so technical, I didn't feel like I was really getting um, a training stimulus out of it physiologically. So I think that's why I always gravitate towards hypertrophy training and at the moment running, because I feel like I'm actually changing my body. Whereas um, the strength stuff, it is important to me, but... Yeah, I like I like changing physiology with my training. Yeah, and it, it's encouraging, isn't it, to be able to do something that you couldn't do before? And I feel like both those modalities or or approaches give you the opportunity to do that. Yeah. So you know, if people are looking or thinking about getting into it, I'd probably say that's quite a nice way to look at it. That you're going to see measurable impacts quite quickly. Um, looking at this theory of concurrent training. Yeah, and I suppose the last thing I say on concurrent training is. 
if you are programming to do both, you'll improve at both, but just at a slower rate than if you picked one. And that I, I think most of that is mainly due to if you're going to train five or six days a week, you probably end up doing two or three of each session instead of five of one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think over time, when you end up matching the work done, you'll you'll still hit the goals that you want to hit. Because also, what's the rush? You know, for a lot of people, this isn't this isn't something they're getting paid to do. So, yeah. um, unless it's you, uh, enjoy the process and, and yeah. don't rush it. <laughs> but the, the, I was I was actually thinking about this when I was running today. I was I was thinking about dropping down to two or three weight sessions, two or three runs a week, and just take take my time and get in there because there really is no rush. I might even get there quicker if I recover better between sessions. Um, yeah, I don't know. Most I just like putting myself in the bin each session. So, yeah. We'll see if you get that that two hundred kilo squat and the and the five minute mile. Yeah, even on today's session, I've I've planned to do ten lots of two minutes, um, near my maximum aerobic speed. Got to rep seven and just blew up. <laughs> have, to, have to drop the pace down so if, if you're consistently setting sessions that you can't finish you're trying to train too hard yeah and that that is actually important isn't it i think particularly if you're just getting back into exercise as well it's much better to finish a session thinking but you know I, I maybe could have done a bit more than oh my goodness i'm absolutely screwed yeah but particularly for running because volume is probably one of the most important things what i ended up doing was just dropping the pace down and doing my 10 sets instead of just leaving the session um, but it was just at a much slower pace. Yeah. Um, I reckon we've covered quite a bit there, haven't we? Yeah. Do you want to give us a summary? Yeah, my summary would be endurance training, if programmed well, does not interfere with strength training. But I would, the mistake I've made and what you should bear in mind is this idea of adaptation energy and you've only got so much energy that you can adapt to certain training modalities. So don't try and do a running program or whatever form of cardio it is and a strength program. You need to meet in the middle somewhere and drop the volume of both. So you're doing a manageable workload. Um, based on that, progress slowly and you'll still get to where you want to. You'll get fitter and you'll get stronger. It'll just take a little bit slower than if you were just doing one or the other. But don't be afraid of cardio killing your gains love it um final plug for me i think uh you know we've got many many uh listeners now the stats are amazing um click follow click like give us a rating um and help boost the the pod and, and get the word out there a little bit more nice thanks for listening and see you next week